I was thinking this morning how, um, how the, who's, who do we think the strongest person in here is? Who, who would be the, Justin, I'm looking at you. Kent's back there. There's rugby training. He's, he's going to be close, right, Kent? I mean, anybody want to fight Kent? Let's just see. Ken's like, stop talking to me, Jesse. He's like, stop it. Len, he used to hold his own back in the day, Len, with some of the rugby. Uh, the strongest man, the strongest man is going to get weak if he doesn't eat every day. Would you agree? It doesn't matter how strong. It doesn't matter how physically strong. It doesn't even matter how, how much muscle you might have built up in the past. If you go for a couple of days without eating, you're, you're going to start to struggle. You're going to start to be in a place where you don't have a lot to give, and somebody that maybe is a lot smaller than you, somebody that has, has been eating or drinking, all of them are pretty important, is going to be able to go the distance where you would not be able to go the distance. And this morning, as we come into the word, can we come into the word as hungry men? Regardless of how strong you are, you won't be able to sustain what God is wanting to do in you and through you if you are not eating from his word. His word from yesterday will not sustain you today. It's his word from today that sustains you, that gives you the strength that you need to do to work out what he's doing and what he's calling in you. You need his word, amen? His word is so important. We need to lean into that word. I want to eat as, this is funny, like, I don't know where it came from. I, there was always enough food, but, like, in my house, but, like, I, like, I go to town and make sure I'm full. Probably it's from being a university student. You just never know when you're going to have the energy to make another meal, you know? So I would just, I would, my, my mac and cheese in the, in the microwave or the chicken nuggets that I'd check in, but I would eat as much as I can. Can we eat like that this morning? Can we have... Can we have a hunger for his word? This is not just a nice thing that we add on to a Sunday morning. This is the very thing that sustains us. His word is our daily bread. I had such a hunger this morning for his word. And this morning, we want to continue our series on the people of influence. And we've been looking at people of influence and what they carried so that we can further step into the role that he has called us into becoming as a people of influence. just want to say it again. We're looking at people of influence so that we can further step into the role of what he's calling us in becoming people of influence. Do you want to be people that make an impact? Do you want to be people that, that actually make a difference? We talked last week about um, my man Daniel and that he had faith for the impossible, faith to see the impossible happen. This week, we're going to talk about a guy that had, like, faith for nothing to happen, and yet he was still a man of influence. He doubted. He was afraid. He was scared. When God found him, he was hiding. This is not relegated to the one or two mighty men of God that we think. This is for everyone. We already talked about Moses. Moses was a man who stuttered and just doubted the call of God on his life. I would submit to you that Gideon was either, was even, was, well, not I would submit to you. He was so far down the totem pole. He was in the least clan. He was the weakest in his family. He was the most scared out of anyone in the house of Israel. This should be encouraging for even the most timid of us, that there is a mighty call of influence on your life. Influence is not just for the politicians. 
Influence is not just for the, the strong of what we think is strong. The most scared person that God found hiding can have enormous influence, can have enormous impact. The smallest church can have enormous impact. Can I encourage you this morning as we look at Gideon to be hungry to say, what did God work in Gideon's life that I can take on so that I can have influence, so that I can have impact? Our faith is not for ourselves. It's sure helpful for ourselves. I appreciate it. But our faith is not for ourselves. And if the least of these, if the most scared of these can have mighty influence, you have mighty influence. Where you go, what you carry has impact. And again, I, have to, I can't look at anybody for too long because I just start to get inspired by the impact. I'm closing my eyes on purpose. By the impact, the influence that each of you carry. Our whole like, little tagline as a church that we've looked at for a while is living in purpose. Why is living in purpose so significant? Because every single person that God has created, and that's all of us, he has created with intent to make an impact in this world. There is a reason why we're prolonging in this idea of influence, because influence means that where you go, something changes. We have the very spirit of God inside of us that where you go, stuff will change. And this morning, the theme that I want to look at, and you don't get anything else, but this is the theme I want to look at, is in God alone. It is through God alone. So let's look at the passage of Gideon. I'm starting in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds, a.k.a. they went into hiding. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. I wanted to pause even right, right at the start of the story. Because when we're talking about influence, this isn't so that we can be in an inspirational movie and feel really good at the end of two hours and like, we had influence. I made a difference. We have to go to the core of why is influence even important. Why is influence important? Why is impact important? It is because there are people that are so broken and dying and dead. The people, the precipice of which Gideon was launched into influence wasn't just so that God could make this fearful man feel really great about himself. There was such a need in Israel at the time. The people were crying out to the Lord, God, where are you? We are being robbed. We are being pillaged. There's, we do not have life right now. And the Holy Spirit just dropped on me the, the sense of the need that is currently out there. 
Oftentimes the church can't minister to the need out there because we're still trying to figure out the need in here. But God is wanting to radically transform you in here so that you can radically transform those that you come into contact with. That looks like a lot of different things. But can we just pause and recognize that influence is not birthed out of just like, man, Lane Park Church, that's a cool idea that you guys want to be people of influence. Like, that's kind of, I'm feeling that. Like, I'm feeling it too, but I'm feeling it because what influence means is I want to start touching lives that are so broken that we can see the life of Jesus just start pouring into the cracks of that brokenness. I want to start touching needs that matter. We want to start releasing a sound and shining a light of the Spirit of God that absolutely cannot help but be transformed when people come into contact with that. That is what we are talking about with influence. And can I tell you that the need is so great. And I'm not challenged by the need. I'm encouraged and excited by the need because I know the one who meets those needs. It is in God alone. It is through him where those needs come. We have, to begin to get to, we have to begin to get connected to need for God. Our need for God and the world's need for God. Verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. Kind of looks like Oprah. She wasn't around back then. Which belonged to Joash the Ebrezite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. He's given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, I love Gideon's persistence. Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. We'll just pause. How many of you know that Gideon missed the point. And maybe many of us miss the point possibly when we come into contact with God and he starts to prophesy over your life and worship through a word, through a word of knowledge. When you hear me start to say, yep, we as a church, both individually and corporately, are called to have an influence. Maybe you say, yeah, I hear that that's what we're supposed to do. But maybe you don't hear where it's going to come from. Maybe you doubt that it's going to happen. I want to I want to just jump into there because we've all been there. We've all, all been in places where God, I feel this call of God on my life. How in the world can I do this? Lord, I know you've called us as a church to have an influence. What does that look like? But I want to submit to you. What what does the angel say to, to Gideon? He says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Can I just I'll just speak for myself. You know what I tend to focus on in the scripture? O mighty man of valor. 
how, how powerful is that? Well, it's not that powerful because the only reason he's mighty is because of the first statement. The Lord is with you. You got to hear this this morning. We, we often just see, God, you're calling me a mighty man of valor, and I'm going to reject that because I don't quite feel that I fit into the fullness of that, but I'm going to do my best effort at it anyways. It's the Lord is with you. The, the reason why you are a mighty man of valor is because of the fact that the Lord is with you. This morning, we're talking about one thing and one thing alone. We cannot be a people of influence in our own strength. It is completely and utterly and totally and fully and any other words that you have to describe entirety of his strength. I love this passage, O mighty man of valor. But we need to understand why he's a mighty man of valor. It's because that the Lord is with him. So watch this exchange. Gideon doesn't understand what this means. God, why haven't you done anything? Where are your mighty deeds? This doesn't make sense to me. What does God say? Go in this might of yours and save Israel. I just, I'll rephrase that. Jeanette, go in this might of yours to do the calling that I've released to you to do in your workplace, in your family, in this church. Go, go and do it in this might of yours and save those people. We, we look at that and we say, oh man, that's like, whew, I've got you, God. I'll do the best I can. But what is the key here? It's, it's not in, in, in his might. Where does his might come from? Is it not I that send you? This is such an important thing to just pause and rest in. There is a call of God on your life that's magnificent. I mean, there's a call of God on your life to influence families, workplaces, cities, nations. Because that's who God is. He wants to impact those things. But if you think, and oftentimes we do think, and even subtly we're like, God, I know it's in your strength, but like, I'm just, I can't do this. I need you to focus on who is sending you. The focus is not how mighty you are. The focus is on who is sending you. The focus on, is on who is with you. Again, you can save Israel and your might is not the key. The key is it is the Lord who is sending you. I love, I love Gideon's response because he's so honest. Sometimes we're not honest. Like in home group, like, bless the Lord. Yep, doing his will. And we're like, oh, I don't know how to do it. You know? I love this. God, I can't do it. I am the weakest and I am the least. Stop it. You know, like Gideon's like, I got you, bro, but I'm not there. This doesn't deter God in the slightest, for our strength is not found in ourselves. This has got to be one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture. God, I've got nothing to give. I'm the least. I'm, I'm hiding in a wine press while trying to get some corn or wheat. Whatever he's doing, he's hiding. Isn't it amazing that God can come to us no matter where we are, no matter what season of life we're in, no matter what station of life we're in, no matter what we think, no matter what our theology is, no matter what our beliefs are, and he can come in and he can intercept that and say, I don't care where you are. I've called you for a huge amount of influence to go and save people that are dying. I want to be a part of regardless of where my skills are, and I want to develop that, regardless of what I bring to the table, and I want to do everything I can to position myself to, to do as best I can to recognize I want to go in this might of mine. 
but it's not my might. It's because the Lord is with me. It's because the Lord is sending me. It's catching on to it that a church of influence recognizes who it's sent by. I church, and, and can I rewind back to where the need? How great was the need? This, there is need out there. One of, the, one of the burdens on my heart right now is to send us with passion and faith to go and impact a world greatly in need. Let us release that sound. I love this. God's rebuttal is the fact that he will be with him and Gideon will strike the Midianites as one man. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Last week, we talked about faith for the impossible. This week, we want to look at how this happens through God alone in his strength alone. Gideon goes on to ask for a sign from God and after receiving one, I'm I'm in verse 25. That night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family, sometimes I'm afraid of my family, And the men of the town, to do it by day, he did it by night. Challenged by the men of the town, Gideon's father defends him. And in verse 32, it says, Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jeroboam, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. I love this verse. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And he sounded the trumpet. And the Abizrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh. And they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali. And they went up to meet them. Then Gideon asked for a couple more signs from God. And after having received ample confirmation, fast forwarding to Judges 7-1, then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. People of influence need to know that it is only through the strength of the Lord. It is only through his strength. Now, this, this is pretty encouraging to me, even though it might not be encouraging to most. It's like when God starts cutting down your ranks or when he starts to mess with the situation where like we're talking about faith for the impossible, be encouraged because if he's going to be the one that does it and it's only possible through him, then you know it's going to be an eternal thing that's being done. We need to start connecting into that is only through his strength. But God starts to remove things that would say, if this was still in place, you would think that this was done through your strength. If this was still in place, you would think that this was because of you. Now, now I'm a really big believer that we have a big part to do with this, right? This is not us removed from it. But can I tell you that it's through his strength? He chooses to use us to reveal his strength. This is encouraging. Can you be encouraged that when you start to see situations that, that you're just not able to do, that that means that God is the one that's going to be able to do it? That's an encouraging thing. Some of you are convinced. Some of you are saying, I'm not convinced. I can't do this. 
This is the time to get excited because we do not have an empty God. We have a God who is powerful. We have a, we have a God that has broken death. If we start to understand that we have a God who's broken death, when we go out there and we start interacting with things that have become dead, we get to say, listen, I know you might think you're dead and that that's the end of the story, but my God is a God who brings to life because he already conquered death. My God is a God who went to the cross and by his blood he shed, you can be made clean regardless of where you've been or what you've done. Our God is not empty. And can I tell you the power that was in him when he went to Calvary is the same power that resides today. And he chooses to use us as, as vehicles to carry out his power. Church, we cannot lose sight of that. If you lose sight of the power of who God is, then you've lost sight of the authority of who he is. This was not for yesterday. This is for today. His power is longing to be released in you and through you. But if we're disconnected from that, we're not going to be able to release any of it. If my God is for me, then who can stand against me? Chapter 7, verse 3 says, Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. That's a lot of people that left. I don't know about you, but if I was actually physically placed in that like scenario where there's, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands or how many, how many were in that army. But if I was one of 32,000, I can imagine I would have some trembling of my own going on. I imagine, so I, there is no, I do, I do not have any less disrespect for those that are struggling and wanting to go home at this time. But the message that I feel is so important that we look at this process, not as people that made the cut or people that didn't make the cut. I want you to look at this as a process that God takes us through. So this is important. We're not looking at, if you're afraid right now, you're like, well, I don't make the cut. See you later, God. This is a process that he takes us through. And I think that's so important as we look at it. And I'll make, I'll explain a little bit. But the first thing that God deals with us is fear. The first thing that God is going to deal with us, the first thing for God to release his strength in this army of Gideons, the first thing that he went after was what? It's fear. Fear is the first thing that will rob you of your God-given authority. Fear is the first thing that will rob you of your God-given authority and will prohibit you from being able to step into all that God has called for you to do. I don't even know what kind of fear. I think sometimes we just think, well, I'm not like afraid, you know, in the sense of feeling a feeling of, of actual fear, like somebody jumps out and you're like, ah. But is it fear that if you're just too passionate in worship, somebody will think down of you? Is it, is it fear that in your workplace, if you let it known that you're a Christian, you're going to start being, I don't know, treated differently? Is it fear that when the circumstance, I don't know what that fear is, is it just to be socially accepted? Is it, well, dive deeper into fear, because fear is not just this like, this I'm afraid, but there's so many, so many things that control our behavior and 
Fear is the first thing that will rob you of your God-given authority. If you want to be a people of influence, carrying and releasing his strength, we've got to let deal with God deal with our fear first. And Gideon didn't get to miss this part. God started dealing with his fear right from the start, but we've already talked about it. What was the solution to his fear? A mighty man of valor who's hiding. The Lord is with you. If we can just hang on to that word, there is nothing more exciting. If we're not connected to the fact that our God can separate the Red Sea, if we're not connected to the fact of what we're just saying that our God raises the dead to life, if we're not connected to the fact that our, that our God heals people that are blind, that are deaf, that are sick, then that doesn't mean much. If we're not connected to the fact that if my God is for me, then who can stand against me? Who is pretty big? The Lord is with you. Can you hear the impassioned plea on my heart to release a sound in this place that if the Lord is with you, all those other things don't matter. Fear cannot stand where the Lord is. The Lord is with you. It is, it is his presence that removes fear. It is him being with you that allows you to do what he's called you to do. Hear this. Maybe it's good for some note takers. Fear runs from the situations that God is wanting you to change, impact, and influence. Fear runs from the very things that God is wanting you to impact, influence, and change. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear. Fear is not, fear is not from him, but of power, love, and self-control. Fear is not from God. Gideon had so much fear when approached by God. The angel of the Lord came down when he was hiding there. But the key here is that God deals with our fear first for us to step into the fullness of what he has for us. And what, what did he have Gideon do? Like Gideon didn't, didn't go immediately and lead the army into this amazing victory. What did he have to do first? He had to go and knock down that false God. God, God put him through the rings of saying, you're going to do it. Was Gideon still afraid in that? He was. This is not the absence of fear, but this is him stepping out in the midst of his fear and being obedient and recognizing that, God, I feel terrified, but I'm going to go and knock down this thing that is set up against your name. I'm going to go and I'm going to break down this God that is in, that is in Israel. You wonder why these Israelites had problems. He dealt with Gideon's fear first. But notice, you know, we read out that the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Do you know when the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon? It was after he had smashed the Baal. I love that. That God wants to deal with your fear, and he'll do it step by step, but that is the first thing that he needs to eliminate for you to release in fullness his strength. Verse 4, And the Lord said to Gideon, I love this, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And to anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue is a dog laps. You shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. 
but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. The people are still too many. You could still say that this was because of your own strength. Is there any situations in here that that brings a lot of reality yet encouragement to that if you could still do it in your own strength, I'm so encouraged that when it comes to a place where I now have 300 men against 100,000 men, this is a very different ball game. This is a very different ball game. This is so, like, it's, it's like one thing for God to be like, yep, it's impossible. Now, like, you can't do it. You've got 300 men. There's no way. Too many of us in this place become defeated when we have 300 men. And we need to recognize that this is more when God is for us than ever before because we have gotten out of the way enough for him to do his thing. Bruce sent me through this commentary that I just wanted to read out. It's the pulpit commentary. It's not one that I've looked at a lot, Bruce, so good stuff. Success not dependent on numbers. This is the commentary based on this passage of scripture. In Christian work, the tendency is to rely on external appearances of strength manifested by a great array of workers rather than on the inconspicuous spiritual sources of real power. The power of God is far more important than any human agency. In all divine work, the real energy is centered in God. We are but the instruments in his hands. The temptation is to forget that the true power and blessing comes wholly from him. The imposing appearance of two great numbers may lead us to neglect the aid of God. When we are few, we feel our helplessness and so learn to turn to God for strength. When we are many, we imagine ourselves strong. And thus, while we are apparently strong in ourselves, we are really most weak. Presumption takes the place of faith and human agency is relied on instead of, divi- instead of divine energy. I love that. It is in him alone that we can do what he's called us to do. It is not through your talents. It's not through your wit. It's not through your opinions. It's not through your mighty strength. It is through the strength of the Lord. Almighty Lane Park Church of Valor, the Lord is with you. And it is not because you're clever and beautiful and you're both of those things. Can I tell you, and and it's the same across the way for each church that's represented. The Lord is with them. We want to do everything we can to make us sound worthy of carrying the spirit of the Lord. The key of this passage, and I want to go here, is this word test. Bruce and I, and I I brought Andre into it. Andre's not here either. Um, But we started talking about the ins and outs of why did God separate the, the folks that were lapping and the folks that got down on their hands and knees. And I will let better theologians than me determine exactly why. And, and I've read all the commentaries and there's some very interesting ones. But here's the key. This is the key that I want us to zero in on right now is this word test. What does the Lord say in this passage? He said, their people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. The issue is this issue of testing. And the word, the Hebrew word, is actually to smelt, to smelt, to refine. It's like what a, what a silversmith would do to remove all of the impurities that are found in something. 
So what is this process that God takes us through? The first thing that he's going to go after is what? Is fear. The second thing that he's going to do, he's going to take us through a process of refining. This is not a disqualification of like these random people that drank a certain way got disqualified and these people didn't. And there's some really, really well thought out arguments of why he would have chosen those. There is a process that all of us need to go through of refining, of preparation to be able to do what he's called us to do. Deal with the fear that's in there. But sometimes I think we're just like, God, it's all in your strength, so I'm just going to like sit here and wait for you to do it. He chooses to do it through us. He chooses to do it through you, and he's, he needs to prepare you to be able to even release the sound and shine the light that he's calling you to do. So many of us, if we're not caught up on fear, we might be caught up on, we have stopped the refining process so that he cannot take us into that next sphere of what he's wanting to do and release through us. Be sensitive, be, be obedient to this process of testing, of refining, of removing the impurities so that the sound that you make, and I'm going to come back to this idea of creating a sound and shining a light, can truly let the strength of God ring out. Refining, refinement. I will purify them for thee there, King James says. There's a process that he must take us through as God prepares us to be able to release what he's going to do through us. We need to allow God to refine us so that we remove the stuff that would get in the way of him releasing his strength through us. I'm going to read out one of our last passages of scripture. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. Andy, we need to get your trumpet going again, man. I'm just, just saying as a side note. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. The same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I've given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. There was a lot of them. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them in empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. When they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and they smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out 
and fled. I love how God is still working out fear in Gideon's life right up until this this point. I love that God is still preparing him for what he's called him to do. This is not a one-time process where you've, you've been able to get there. That's a continuous process. He's still putting the final preparing touches on Gideon before the battle. The thing that I was most couldn't get out of my head was the fact that God didn't just go and do it by himself. God went to a lot of trouble to use people to release his strength. But God uses people to do the mighty. He uses all kinds of people like a Gideon who was afraid and hiding in a wine press. It is completely in the strength of the Lord, but God uses people to be the vehicle by which he carries out his plan. There is still something for us to do. And that's what what I believe the Holy Spirit has really impressed upon me this morning is to share two things with you. After we work out fear, these aren't the two things, and we're obedient to God's preparation of us, I believe there are two very significant things that we see in Gideon's story that we have to do if we want to see the strength of God released through us. There's two things that happen. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches. The first thing that I believe we're called to do is to shine our light. The first thing that we are called to do is to shine our light. I want to read a couple of scriptures because scripture says it so much better than I ever could. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they set it on a lampstand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. For it, and this is Philippians 2.13, that was Isaiah 60 verse 1, and that was Matthew 5.15 and 16. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. What, What does shining your light look like? That's like poetic, but like cool. Like that's a that's great story, Jesse. What, what does shining your light look like? Can I encourage you to get before the Lord to see what that looks like for you? I think too many times we can think of what, what we just think the interpretation is, or we can think, Jesse, I think you think this is what it is. I don't want to declare for you what shining your light looks like, although I could give you a, a big head start, and I want to try and help some of those thought processes going. If our mandate is to shine our light and that is how people will see, then that looks like something. That looks like something. We can even take some, some uh, from those scriptures that we just read, some keys. What does shining our look like? No grumbling, no disputing, reflecting the king's light wherever you go, holding fast to the word of life. I love the story of Moses, and I want to just preach on just his interaction with God when he came away shining and like he was just too bright to look upon. 
One, one way, if you want to start shining a light, is spend some time with them. The more time you spend with them, and if we preach about that every week, we'll be doing well because he is the answer. Here, our focus is Jesus. Everything else comes second. You spend time with Jesus. I can, <laughs> I've probably told you before, my mom, or it's my dad, one of them, probably both of them. They're like, Jesse, sometimes you cause us problems. I'm like, okay. She said, but I think both of them have said, specifically, I remember my dad saying this. He said, Jesse, I never worry about you, though, because I know you're always going to listen to where God is calling you to go. I love that testimony. A, I love that I'm a little bit ornery. Two, I want that testimony to be of his people, that no matter what we think, no matter where we're stuck, it's him that matters. There's no other thing that can get before him. To shine best, we need to have spent time with him. When we start to mitigate, when we start to avoid the process of spending time with God and we try and shine our light, can I tell you that you're going to burn out? That you will not be able to reflect in the way that you would love to reflect. You will not be able to reveal and release and, and have influence in people's lives if you burn out of having not spent enough time with him. It is in him only. I was just thinking, because I, I just don't want this to be re- relegated to, like, evangelizing on the street corner. This is not, that is, if that is your thing, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to hope that the, the multitudes come your way. I'm not against that. I mean, I, I would have some input on how to possibly do that. Um, I've seen some that do it in a very unusual way that I would not encourage. But I was reminded of the passage of the widow who gave a penny compared to, the Pharisees who gave so much. That is what shining your light looks like. She gave everything that she had. Jesus could care less about what it looked like on the outside. Don't don't lessen what God can do through you, but can I tell you,